Welcome to Diner Talks with James. Slide into the booth and let's have conversations we never want to end with friends we never want to leave over food we probably shouldn't be eating. My friends, what is going on? Welcome to another episode of Diner Talks with James. I'm James, and I am super pumped to be here with you all today. I'm so pumped, I'm spitting over here. Look at me. Are you sitting in the splash zone seats? It's getting awkward. There's probably weird water particles on my camera and microphone. That's fine. It doesn't matter. Uh, So, but I am super pumped to be here with you all today. We got my friend Archie Messersmith Bunting. Messersmith is one of the most fun words I've ever said. Just kind of sits all up in the mouth uh, and makes it hits all the places, which is what Archie would tell you he does too. And uh, so I am super excited to bring him out here in just a moment. But friends, before I do that, before I do that, I just wanted to let you know um, that uh, I'm really proud of the community that we are building, and I'm super excited that you are all here, and I just wanted to say thank you. All right, great. Let's bring out my man, Archie Messersmith-Bunting, a.k.a. The Feelings Guy. He got that trademarked because... Why not? You know what I'm saying? Own it. Uh, He is a mental wellness coach, a consultant, a professional speaker who helps people discover how leading uh, with their feelings can improve their quality of their life and save the lives of those they come in contact with. Awesome fact about Archie is that he was on Broadway. He toured with a whole bunch of different Broadway cast, Rent, 42nd Street, Oklahoma, all of the biggins, y'all. And it's amazing. He's been to all seven continents, and he's an incredible man with an incredible story. I'm excited. In this episode, we are going to talk about mental health. We're going to talk about suicide. We're going to talk about what it's like to have your dreams in your grasp and then have life take it away from you. And I'm really because we're also going to laugh a lot. And I want you to keep a track on how many times he calls me girl, because I love it every single time he does. Here we go, my friend, Archie Messersmith Bunting. <laughs> hey, girl. Hey, one drink. All right. <laughs> wow, that was an intro. I forgot how good you are at the intros. I need to qualify what I know you're good at. But yeah, good at the intros. Yeah. <laughs> That's right, my friends. That's right. We come in with the heat and hope we can keep the fire burning. We do. We do. What's up? How are you doing? You know, I am feeling excited to be here. I'm also a teeny bit stressed. I um, Someone hired me to do this new keynote on Friday, and that's always, you know, it's a little stressful. And you're like, oh, this is brand new. Sh- oh, wait. Oh, I've listened to your show. Brand new <laughs> shit. Brand new shit I got to do. Um, yeah. So, you know, those, that's how I'm feeling. How are you feeling today? Yeah, I'm doing. I'm doing well. Uh, the speaker life has calmed down a little bit, which is nice. I, I also I have an engagement a little bit later today, but uh, it is it is calmed down, and uh, that means I. Uh, oh, usually over the summer is when I do a lot more of the the back end work on the yeah. business, yeah. and uh, so yeah, so that's kind of what we're doing right now, which is awesome. I have a book proposal that I want to get done by the end of by the end of July, and so that's what we're gunning towards. Yes. Can also just want to say before we start, ha- has the name been finalized? Because I really want to vote for In and Outers. Like, is that like I want to? I want to be a proud In and Outer. Has a proud it In and Out as a diner as a uh, as a member of the Diner Talks yeah, community? Has, has, has it has it been 
Has it been finalized? It has not been finalized. Okay, yet, I want to no. put my vote in for in and outer I want a T-shirt that says, I'm an in and outer Like, I, <laughs> I want to wear that proudly to Walmart in Virginia. Proudly. <laughs> I want you to wear a body cam while you do that. Because I just want to see the looks on people's Deal. faces. Let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, we have not uh, We have not come up with a title for ourselves here in the diner yet that I know. I mean, who knows when this episode will drop, and so maybe we will by then. But yeah, yeah. as of right now, we have not. Yeah. And so, uh, but yeah, in and outers is definitely a possibility, I think. Yeah, I, I yeah. strong vote. Strong vote. For, my West Coast people appreciate it also. Uh, <laughs> Archie, speaking of the diner, uh, you know, we I, I like to ask individuals if, if there's anything that they usually like to indulge in late at night in the food department. Do you have a late night? You know, in Virginia, you you have you got your Waffle Houses out mm-hmm. there, um, and uh, I know you spent a bunch of time in the South, and you've also traveled around the country and around the globe. So you've eaten at some diners before mm-hmm. spending time in New York. But do you have a, a favorite late night go to move? Mm. Yeah. So. Back in diner lands, I mean, as you know, right? Well, your listeners don't know. So we have a, I don't know when this will air, but in two weeks of airing, our mm-hmm. our son will be three. Um, so there really isn't much going out ever, um, <laughs> ever. I saw that you and Tina actually made that happen. And I'm like, what life are they living? Um, I, we, have, we haven't done that just yet. Uh, but, you know, here at home, I'm a big fan of the, it's like this, this knockoff brand ice cream that's three different kinds of chocolate. I mean, because you can't just get one. I mean, and like I'll like I'll have a scoop, and then two cartons later, then I'm asleep. <laughs> um, but back in diner days, I was a big fan of Waffle House, uh, smothered, covered, covered, and buttered, or whatever the thing was. Like all, all the things, all the things. Oh, yes, that's that was a that was a study go to at at Samford University. We would we would go and kill some Waffle House. So yeah, love it. Samford is. Uh, in Alabama, it's in Birmingham. It's in Birmingham. It is when I went there. It was a private Southern Baptist institution. That's a story. Um, <laughs> now, today, it is a private liberal arts college. But when you have a tagline of "For God, for learning forever," mm-hmm. it's pretty clear that we are somehow going to be, you know, connected to to to, to religion of some way. So yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. You can call it liberal arts all you want, but if that's mm-hmm. in your tagline, <laughs> it's pretty clear. Yeah. yeah. Jesus coming for you. He's coming. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, that's amazing. So it's fun because you went, you went to school uh, down in Alabama. Where'd you grow mm-hmm. up? What, what state did you grow up in? Alabama. Yeah. I'm an, I'm Alabama boy. Yeah. You're, you're Alabama through and through. I didn't yeah, know that. Yeah. Yeah. I grew up in, uh, I actually grew up in small town, Alabama, Pickens County, uh, is where I lived until I was a freshman in high school. And then we moved to Scottsboro, which you might've heard of either from the Scottsboro boys, the, so not a good way, the musical, um, or the story or unclaimed baggage. So unclaimed baggage is in Scottsboro. All the baggage that we lose on airplanes yeah. goes to unclaimed baggage and then other humans can go and purchase it. Um, they go to these auctions and they bid, they literally look at a suitcase and they think, I'll take that one. Cause like that suitcase must have good stuff inside it. Yeah. Uh, and we've actually had people come in the store. I worked there uh, when I was in high school, they would come in and they would say, that is my camera. The initial James is scrolled, you know, is written on it. And I'm like, well, great. It's my camera now. And it'll be this much to get it back. <laughs> it was, it was wow. Really? Oh yeah. Because you've already been paid by the airline insurance. So oh, it's a, real? it's, it is a phenomenal, like 
any, I mean, my parents moved, so we don't go there, but back at, you know, up, up until recently, whenever you go home to Scottsboro, you go to unclaimed baggage to see what you can find at unclaimed baggage. <laughs> that is a riot. The, uh, I've often wondered where it goes and I've had, I've seen the YouTube videos of people that like either, you know, buy suitcases or they buy storage units yeah. or they buy whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah, that is fascinating that you were in the thick of it. And the things people put in their suitcase. I mean, there's like a whole like luxury part of the store, like Cartier, you know, I don't know what that means. I think it's a diamond or something like these, like incredibly expensive, like pieces of jewelry and, yeah. and art and wedding dresses and like engagement rings and like all these things that we then sell. I mean, I don't work there anymore, but they sell. Yeah. Wow. Did you notice a specific, was there a specific type of person that was routinely a customer there? Or did you get people all walk shapes and sizes? Everybody's intrigued by this. Well, I mean, so there's two answers to that question. I mean, literally, literally everything you put in your suitcase was sold, right? So mm -hmm. toiletries, like, so there is a, a type of human that comes in that, that, that you can buy like large bags of toiletries and, and sometimes shelters and stuff will come by that. Mm -hmm. um, but there's ski day and scuba day. I feel like this is an advertisement for unclaimed baggage. Can you all should pay me? Um, there's ski day and scuba day where people come from all over the world. Um, and my very first day at work was on ski day. The line was like down the street in Scottsboro and you open the door and people just run in and start grabbing things um, because it's a really good ski and scuba equipment for like significantly cheaper. So yeah. people come from all over the world to shop at Unclaimed Baggage, which is nuts that they come to Scottsboro, Alabama. And then when they get there, they're like, now what do we do? I guess no. we're going to Hardee's. <laughs> like, let's go to Hardee's because that's about it. <laughs> that sourdough bread is delicious. Don't play. Um, Don't play with me. And uh, this actually is a good time to bring up our new sponsor. I'm playing baggage. I'm playing baggage. <laughs> Scott. And you have to say, I know you have this in particular, Scottsboro. Okay, yes. It does right? say not, that. Not yeah. Scottsboro. Scottsboro. <laughs> Borough. <laughs> okay, listen now. My, my Southern's coming out. I'm here for it. I'm here now. So growing up in uh, growing up in, in, in Alabama, now what was the dream, Archie? What what was the dream when you were younger? Were you now what what were you chasing? Yeah, so I always wanted to sing and dance. I, I mean, my yeah. first solo in life, I think I was like six or seven and I sang something in front of the church and mm -hmm. I just walked up and, you know, they were like sing. And so I started singing and it was just no big thing to me. So that was always when I was in elementary school. Um, this was back in the day when like, you know, I think it was sixth grade, maybe um, every sixth grade, they would put on the nativity scene at school. Sure. You know, this was like small town, deep Alabama, Alabama yeah. which was totally, totally fine back then. Right. Um, but they asked me as like a third grader to come sing angels. We have heard on high. I mean, it was just like, I, it's always what I wanted to do. Yeah. That's incredible. The, uh, what was the first play that you were in? Oh, do you Lord. remember? Uh, no, no. I, um, I do remember I was in Oklahoma like really early on as a, as a kid. Now my, my high school actually didn't have um, theater. So, and, and when, when I became a, a freshman, they cut show choir. So my outlet was the band. Like that was my only really outlet of the arts. And then I would sing at the church, but, but there are these, anyone that's listening that grew up, you know, in, in the church, um, Dennis and Nan Allen wrote every musical known to man, like friends are friends forever and positive ID. And like, how do I remember all these? Um, and 
when I tell you that I would turn these into like spectacular productions and I would choreograph <laughs> and there would be costume changes and like how these humans did not know I was gay. I do not know. But like <laughs> these these youth musicals that they would just basically hand to me and say, do something. I would I mean, it would be like we'd be throwing glitter from our hands. I mean, it was just like yeah. way out there. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that uh, the the imagery of this is perfect. By the way, it's perfect. I mean, yeah, <laughs> it's everything that you're imagining in your head that like some little high school kid yeah. could dream up. Yeah, all those things. The, just you're you're there if you're if you're imagining I'm, it. You're there. I'm 100 there. Don't you worry about it. Have, <laughs> I have arrived. <laughs> I also uh, I also was a, a thespian uh, when I when I was younger as well, and uh, and then I made the choice. I, I, I just I had to make a choice between marine biology or the theater, and and I chose marine biology because I thought it'd be good to get a nice practical degree, which is ironic because now I spend all of my time on stages, and my marine biology degree is about a sixteenth second joke in every speech that I give. Wait, you're you majored in marine biology? I have a bachelor of science in marine biology. Yeah. Shut the front door. <laughs> that sounds horrible. <laughs> like. Horrible. Gosh. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. Took it all. Organic chemistry. Oh, yeah, oh. Yeah, we did it all. Anatomy and physiology, of course. Well, so, yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, con congratulations. I'm happy for you and your student loans. That's that's Thanks. lovely. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, uh, it, yeah, but but theater was always something that I uh, and still to this day have a, a deep passion for. And I think it is incredible that you took that passion and did something with it, right? You went to you went to college and then you turned it into something. Now, uh, before we get into a little bit of that, I'm, I'm curious. You mentioned you mentioned that you're gay. I don't know if you knew that. Um, I don't know if that just slipped out and this is the first time. But yeah, thank the, you if it was. Yeah. Um, no, you're, no. You're, you heard it here first, first, folks. Super gay. Hey, honey, honey, I'm gay. Did you know that? <laughs> it is. Uh, <laughs> um, <clears throat> Growing up in, in rural Alabama, mm -hmm. hearing that you are gay, mm -hmm. there is, uh, and knowing that you are gay, excuse me, um, there is a specific tale that I begin to write, mm -hmm. right? Um, and, uh, you know, a tale of intolerance, a tale of bullying, a tale mm -hmm. of things like that. Mm -hmm. um, was that, was that your, was that your life or was your town different? Was your, was your community different? Um, what, what was that experience like? Yeah, let's go with the former. Um, yeah, friend, uh, it was traumatic. That's the only word I can, and that is the correct word to use for what it was like. Um, now, I, listen, I I, I I am seasoned, friends. Um, I know you can't see me, but I know I look all cute and young. But <laughs> I am I am forty five, so I've been I've been on this planet for like a hot minute. Mm -hmm. And so when I was growing up, um, there we didn't have Oprah. We didn't have Ellen. And I know that might seem like that's a really weird thing to say, but that is that is how people eventually began to get all this education about things other than the news. Back when I was growing up, you literally turned on the news and you saw Walter Cronkite or Dan Rather, rather literally just tell you the news. There were no talking heads. There was no opinion. Like, here is what happened today, factual. And you watched it and you believed it and that was it. It came on one time. That was it. So you know, they didn't know what to do with this little kid who 
you know, didn't want to play baseball. He wanted to like sing and dance in the outfield and make flower bracelets with the little flowers. Like they know what to do with me. So, I mean, I, you know, my mom says that, you know, she knew that something was, you know, different or, you know, what's going on here, yeah. but it wasn't something that was known. Now I was called fag, like from the earliest age and it just became a word that, you know, Archie fag. I mean, it was just happened all the time. Um, my high school experience was not pleasant at all. Um, I, uh, you know, I look very different. Here's this redhead kid um, with bright red hair and like can't tan to save his life. And, um, <laughs> of course I got blessed with acne. Like, why do they have to give acne to the kids that like already have the shit life going on? Like, why can't it be like the beautiful people get acne? Um, but it, and, and then married this church life in. So I'm going to this place that is supposed to be super accepting and was super accepting until they found out I was gay. And then they invited me to go away and not to return. Um, and so, and up until that point, I'd heard at least once a month that I was going to hell. So, I mean, there's no other word to put around that than just trauma. So no shit that when I found drugs and alcohol, I was like, Ooh, this makes all the pain go away. Why would you not do them? So yeah, it was, it was not a tolerant place. Um, it is not, I don't have a lot of really fond memories from band was my safe place. Band was the place that I felt like it didn't matter. Um, you know, anyone, anyone and everyone was welcome. And honestly, if it wasn't for high school band, I'm not really sure how I would have survived high school. Yeah. Yeah. First of all, thank you for sharing that. And I'm wondering, you know, in, in band, um, you said it was a safe, it was a safe place for you. Is that because the conductor was someone who created a safer space for you or just the arts was a chance for you to escape and just kind of be something else for a minute? Like what, uh, what, what was it about that, that, that place? I mean, I think all the above, I mean, I think yeah. even in the nineties and you know, the eighties, I mean, there were, pe- there were other people in band who now I know were gay. Um, and we've talked about like what that was like being in this place where we were really trying desperately hard to be something that we weren't. Um, and Miss Bates was, um, her name is Miss Bates. She was very, very strict. A lot of, I mean, I think that anyone you talk to this in the band, you learn that to be on time is to be late. You learn that in the band. Like there's no, there's no showing up to band practice at like 3 PM on the dot and be ready to go. So I learned so many life lessons from her, but, but also it was just, it was just this place that it didn't matter how much money you had. It didn't matter. Like the rich kids, the not rich kids. So like, it didn't matter. Like everyone was a part of this thing and we're all doing this thing. We're playing our little part to make this huge spectacle happen. I was in a really big band. Um, and I, there were so many life lessons I learned from that in this place that I could just be me. Like, sure. I got made fun of, but like it, it was just a place to be me. And, and that was, that was a, a, a life raft for me. Yeah. Yeah, that is, I mean, it's so, it's so important to have a space like that, uh, especially considering that was the only space that, uh, <laughs> like that. Yeah. Uh, and, and I'm so grateful that you had one. Uh, it, it is, um, it is so, so interesting to hear because, you know, I think I've said this on here before, but in my high school, uh, in my high school, I couldn't tell you one person that came out in my high school. And I'm just, I'm just, I'm a little bit, a little bit younger than you, but not crazy. Um, But uh, there was not one person that came out. Now, statistically speaking, that's impossible that there were no gay people in my high school, but it just wasn't a place that, uh, you know, people felt safe 
coming out. It also wasn't a time where people felt safe coming out. There's there's a lot of uh, there's a lot to be said about social media, and and there's a lot of negative things. Um, at the same time, it's also helping a lot of populations feel more seen and find their people, and it, it's been powerful for that reason. So it's it's a, a weird catch twenty two sometimes online, but that's not that's not a, a generation that you and I uh, that that you and I grew up in, <clears throat> and so. It is interesting to think back, and and I've wanted to talk to some individuals that came out shortly after high school and had that conversation with them. We just we haven't connected yet, but um, to hear the stories that you are sharing, to know also that I am someone who grew up saying, "Yo, that's gay, bro. Yo, bro, you gay over here? You kidding yeah. me? Yo, what's going on with your car? Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's gay, um, right?" And uh, and so like that was just in the vernacular. Right. Like I didn't I didn't learn that that was wrong until I was 19 or 20 during RA training. <laughs> right. People are like, we're going to need you to stop. Saying, James, just could you just come here real quick, James? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, and uh, but that's you know, that that's the world that I that I grew up in. Um, and, and yes, you can't help where you grew up, but at some point you make the decision to, uh, accept it as truth and stay ignorant or learn about others. And, um, for you, you had the opportunity and the talent to get out. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when did, was that kind of a, a choice that you made like as soon as possible, or it was like, mm-hmm. Hey, Sanford is just close enough, just far enough. And so let me try college and maybe college would be more accepting or like, what, what was that step like for you? No, I mean, you are correct in that I, I did escape, um, but no, not without a lot more trying to be something I wasn't. So in, in complete transparency, the reason I went to Samford, the reason I chose Samford was because I thought that if anywhere in the world could de-gay me, it would be a Southern Baptist institution. I mean, dude, I tried everything else. I'd walked every mile to the cross. I had done all the praying. I had, you know, please just take this away. I'm, you know, cause they tell you that if you, if you pray and believe that, you know, God will remove your, these things. And so I was like, how much harder do I have to believe here? Make this go away. Yeah. And so every, it, where I went to school, everyone either went to Alabama or Auburn. There was like maybe two kids went to Mississippi school, but like we were kind of funneled into the the big state school system. And um, there was a phenomenal choir at uh, Sanford, the acapella choir that my minister of music was in. And so he drove me down and I sang and the choir director and like freshmen don't get in this choir. And I sang and he was like, yep. He's like, let's just get you, let's get you. I was like, what is happening? Um, and so, so I, I, I chose it for those reasons. Now, now listen, I had a, a very different, but a very good college experience. I remember all of it uh, because we didn't party. Um, that wasn't a thing that we, there were no fraternity parties with alcohol. I never experienced that ever. Um, and we all went to the calf on Sunday and you dressed up because even if you didn't go to church, you dressed up. So people thought you went to church to go to the <laughs> eat your food, like real talk. Um, yeah, yeah. But I, I was like really trying and fighting hard. And, you know, I dated girls and I met a girl that I was going to get married to. And um, and so when when Sanford ended, my parents made me get a music education degree because there's an education you could fall back on. I was one of those things, you know. Yep, sure. Yeah. Uh, and. So because of that, I ended up teaching in one of the most affluent student teaching in one of the most affluent school systems in Alabama. And at the end of my student teaching, they're like, we want you to work here. And so in my head, I'm like, how do you turn this down? Like, you know, I don't want to do this at all. But like, 
I'm going to get married. She's still in college. We were going to wait till she finishes her senior year to get married. Um, but then kind of the kicker for me was that I'd been doing professional theater in summer stock uh, since, oh, okay. you know, this, uh, I got, I got cast after my junior year in the first time. And so then after my senior year, I got cast again. And that's when I was in the first time around, I was able to hide it pretty well. By the second time people are like, Ooh, can you, can we stop this? You're so gay. And I was like, no, no, I'm not. I'm totally straight. Um, uh, and that's when the, that's when things began to ravel, unravel. And then my voice teacher called me in before my senior year. My, and he said, so to be really honest with you, because I'm connected to Summerfest, I've heard some conversations and there's this rumor that you're gay. And I just want to know, like, are you okay? And how are we get an average? And I was like, Oh, it's totally just a rumor. It's just a thing. And so that sent me unintentionally sent me like retreating back in the closet. Cause I was like, I cannot be gay at Stanford. This can't be a thing. Um, and so that's, that's kind of how that journey happened. Yeah. I love you. Had, you had, you had the wife lined up, you had yeah. the career lined up, the, everything was, was ready to go. And I mean, yes, you, you were a, a very proud outspoken fraternity man. Um, and it is, uh, again, all these things that are, that are uh, typically, um, <clears throat> that, that people would typically qualify, uh, especially back in the day as straight activities, um, it, deep down, did you know that you were lying to yourself? Oh, yeah, yeah, or, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I'd already experimented with guys and knew that that felt differently. I'd never experimented with a girl yeah. until I taught at a musical theater camp of all places. <laughs> I was like, let's try this thing. Um, uh, yeah, I, I knew, I knew. But again, I just, I believe that if I just believed hard enough and prayed hard enough and and yeah. you know, read the word more, like surely there, this has to go away. Like this has to go away because they've all said it would. So why, why isn't it working? Yeah. And it'd been indoctrinated into you. Yeah, for sure. So you do the summer stock theater uh, and you get this job at the the most affluent district and one of the most affluent districts in Alabama. And how does, how does New York come into your life? Where does, where does that transition happen? So I, um, I wasn't very good at teaching um, because I wanted to perform. <laughs> I found I'm being really honest. And yeah, I actually sure. turned in my resignation at Christmas time. I was like, I'm, I'll finish out the year, but I'm done. So find your new person. Bye. So I, I got cast in um, another professional show that Christmas called um, Holiday Magic. They would come and they would work with symphonies and they would hire dancers to come do all this dancing. And I was just like, I'm just going to do this. And so during spring break of that year, I flew up to New York and just slept on someone's couch and just went to auditions for a week to see what it was all about. Uh, and then when I got back, to uh, Alabama. I finished out the year. I got ca- I got cast in Summerfest again, but this time as a lead. Um, and I didn't know what it meant to lead a show. So I was out partying. Like this is also kind of when I'd first discovered drugs. So we would go to the club, the one club in Birmingham and, you know, party. And so then I would show up to rehearsal just like shattered. Um, and um, it is the it is. Well, until I got fired much later in life, it is the only time I've ever been released in the middle of a run. And they, I don't usually talk about this very much, but why not? They called me over to the stage, um, stage left after the first weekend run to let me know that I was being released um, because my performance wasn't up to what it needed to be. I got ripped to shreds in, in one of the reviews, ripped to shreds. 
Strangely, the other one was like, his voice is angelic. Yes, it was. I think he was trying to find something positive to say. Um, And I could sing the shit out of the part, but I was just so, I I wasn't really working on my craft. So it wasn't up to leading man um, uh, performance. And so I went and got very, very drunk. And then I bought a ticket to New York City. Well, actually, my mom did. She bought the ticket. Um, and I'm, I just left. I was like, I'm just done. And I, I'd already, I'd, I'd already, I'd already, um, had the conversation with the would be wife. Um, that didn't go so well. Um, but she didn't yeah. like that. Uh, well, it, it was, it was, <laughs> it was very challenging and it, it didn't really help that her father was a, um, a counselor in a Christian counselor. Mm. And he sent me to talk to someone. He was like, I want you to go talk to this guy. And so I did. And so I'm at this church and I'm having these conversations and I was like, I just need to know what I need to do to not be gay. And this man looks at me and says, I'm going to say this very clearly. You are gay. And so I don't know what you want me to do or fix, but until you become okay with that, you're not going to be okay. And I was like, this is some bullshit. This is not what I came here for. Whoa, really? Yeah, it really happened. And so I left and I, I've always wondered if I won't say her name, but this young woman's name, I've always wondered if her dad sent me to this person on purpose, on purpose, knowing that he was going to say what I needed to hear because I had a conversation with her father. I'd already asked her. I'd already, I'd already asked him if I could marry his daughter. And so now I'm saying, I don't know how to fix this. I don't know what to do. I just need this to go away. And he was like, I need you to go talk to this guy. And so I did. And then very soon later, I moved to New York City. Wow. Yeah, that is fascinating to think about. Did did he know and was he deep down a, a very compassionate, accepting man? And uh, did he not want his daughter, like, break my daughter's heart now, not later kind of thing? Uh, fascinating layers to this. <laughs> Didn't know this was coming to the diner today. Did I love you? it. I love it. This is it's so juicy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was. Um, it was. It was. A, it was a trip, man. I mean, it was a ride. And and then when I did move to New York, um, I mean, you know me now to be this very free, open, like I don't really give a shit kind of person. Yeah. That's not exactly who I was back then. I was. I was wearing so many masks and playing so many parts, which eventually was why I became such a phenomenal actor because I was just like acting to all, I was like, oh, wait, who am I to this person? Like what, what scene am I in all the time? Yeah. But when I tell you that when I stepped off the plane in New York city, I was gay, like girl, I went to the H and M I shopped in the girls section, not, not like to dress like a woman, but like, Ooh, those pants are sparkly. Let me, let me peel into them. And then I would go and I would just, str- I mean, I did not give three shits. Um, and cause I, cause I would, it was, it was like, it was like, I'm free. I'm finally free. I'm just going to be yeah. me. And like, I had a, I had a pink Powerpuff girls backpack, like boo, yeah, I did, did not care. I was gay. You did. You did. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is, that is perfect. So, I mean, was there the sense of release and the sense of relief of being in New York of like, I'm away from, uh, I'm away from everything. And so like, I can just be, was there like an almost instantaneously of like, I can be who I am in this city or was there still a little bit of a transition? No, I mean, I think definitely I was just, um, I mean, New York is a, I mean, I, I miss love, hate New York, all the same, all the things, um, you know, it's, it's a, it's a city of misfits and a lot of people go there trying to find themselves. And I think I did, but I also found, um, excuse me, also found, um, uh, 
uh, drugs in the party scene. Um, I was talking to a friend of ours, Will, the other day, and we were talking about how when you go into audition rooms, like, honestly, they need to set up a therapy booth. Like, you know, like the little Sally booth, like, come talk to me. <laughs> that needs to be outside of, like, NOLA Studios. No lie. Because you go into NOLA Studios and you walk up, you get in these, and then this room is just filled with all these people who are struggling, insecure, and hurting. And and then they put you in a line and go, yes, no, yes, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. Before they, I didn't sing a word. They didn't look at my resume. They just literally looked at me and said, no, not the type. And so you get typed out, which in one oh. in one case is good because you're not sitting there all day long. But in another case, it it just it it just feeds the insecurity that I already had inside. And so I'd already been dabbling in um, what I would call club drugs, you know, like the not hard stuff. Mm-hmm. And one night uh, we were out partying, and I really did think that I was doing cocaine, but it was actually crystal meth. Um, which are very different drugs. If you've never tried drugs, people <laughs> very different, very different reactions in the body. Uh, and that was the beginning of the end for me. I, it, it spiraled fast. Yeah. And how, uh, how long after you had moved to New York, what was that? So I, I killed a ton of brain cells, so I'm really bad on timelines, okay, but yeah. what, what I do remember to be, to be true. Um, and there were some pieces I was like, had to go back and I was like, did I make this up or did it happen? Because my brain is not wired exactly like the normal person anymore. Um, But what I would manage to do is like, I would get cast on a cruise ship. And so I would go and I'll perform, you know, for six months. Um, And on the ship, I would drink because everyone does. I mean, there's nothing to do at night. If, if, (laughs) I mean, literally like the the, the crew bar is like penny beer and like a nickel drinks, like for real. So, I mean, you're just getting trash because nothing else to do. Um, so, real incestuous too. There's a lot, of, lot happening. A lot that of is that is a, that is a really true story. Yes. Um, <laughs> so, um, so I would, I would, I would do a cruise ship, and I would be, you know, I would not do drugs, or I would, you know, go off on a tour, um, or I would, you know, prefer to, to, to you know, tour in Europe, and I would come back, and like I remember, I remember one time specifically, I'd been on tour, and the moment that I landed in America, I was like you know, connecting with people to see when we could like hang out and do, you know, do drugs. Um, so I, I would, I would kind of, I, I managed to find a way to, to not use drugs when I was touring or performing until the end. And then it just got really messy. But for the most part, I would, you know, I would manage it and then get high when yeah. I was um, back from tour. So you took the lesson from the summer stock theater loss and, uh, and realized you got to button it up, right? Yeah. There you yeah. go, Archie. There you go. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's so incredible because you have been to all seven continents, mm-hmm. uh, which is delightfully random. And you you put something in your bio that I didn't read because I wanted to ask you about it. Okay. Uh, and so as soon as I hear that someone's been to all seven continents, I'm like, screw the other six. How is Antarctica? Right? Like, <laughs> and like that. That's pretty much my general consensus. Mm-hmm. Uh, and no offense to the other six continents, but uh, maybe a little offense to some of them. But uh, with that being said um <laughs> really just ours but um the antarctica is a, a dream location uh that i that i want to go tina and i actually were, were planning on going um to uh to antarctica for our honeymoon um but then we w- wound up getting pregnant and that was the pregnancy that we unfortunately lost um as we talked about on our previous episode and and, and whatnot but so we didn't we didn't go to antarctica because going to Antarctica seventh months pregnant didn't make a lot of sense. So I don't even know if they would have let us, but either way um, in your bio, you said 
accidentally went mm-hmm. swimming with walruses and penguins in mm-hmm. Antarctica. We're going to take a hard left from the important <laughs> life story that you're sharing to share potentially the most important story okay. of your life, which is this one. What happened? <laughs> yeah. So for, okay. So first of all, I just want to say for humans that are listening, for most humans, you're probably going to go to Antarctica for a very short amount of time. I imagine that that would be phenomenal. Mm-hmm. We were there for two months. Whoa. There's really? yeah. 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 Well, I mean, okay. Well, so hold on a second. No one actually, well, except for the people that live there and those are some, wow. Like I, and people like have kids there and I'm like, there is nothing here. The people that live at the bases in Antarctica, yeah. you're not really in Antarctica for that entire time. So Ushuaia is the southernmost tip of the hemisphere. So mm-hmm. most cruises leave from Ushuaia. So you fly into Ushuaia, you overnight in Ushuaia, the passengers do. We get you home, we go into Antarctica, you come back, you overnight Ushuaia, you leave out. Okay. We did that for two months. So we were there long enough that li- because penguins are very um, uh, committed and we, we would see the same we would see the same penguins in the same place. So we were there so long that we saw baby penguins come to life and then actually lose their baby fur or whatever it's called yeah, and yeah. then begin to get the new fur. Like that's how long we were there. Um, now, I remember being in the we were in the gym the first time we saw an iceberg. And when I tell you that is a phenomenal moment, like it's I, I mean, but then after two months of icebergs, I was like, yeah, I've done it. Um, so the only on the ship that I was on, the only um, uh, staff or crew other than the shore excursion people, because for Antarctica, they bring on experts. It's not just your shore ex people. It's like people, yeah. that's what they do. The They would use the, um, or they would let us volunteer to go ashore. Um, and the, the, the performers, because everyone knew us, because they saw us every night, you know, doing our thing. So, and usually we're, we're the all, some of the only Americans on the ship other than like uh, crew staff. Um, so, um, I was I was helping this this one day um, get the get the passengers onto the shore, and also I want y'all to understand that for most people, Antarctica is like your last continent. So the age of these humans is very <laughs> progressed. Let's yeah, just say that yeah. if you and Tina were to go, you'd be very popular, but you'd also be very very young. So we're like helping them and their walkers and everything get from the zodiac onto the continent, so they could say that they've been to Antarctica. And the tide was coming in. And so I was standing on this rock precariously trying to help the Zodiac. This is what I've been told to do. Well, at one point as the Zodiac, um, which for those of you don't know what it is, it's like a lifeboat. As the Zodiac was coming towards us, the the water swelled. And so it was was like that moment that Ariel goes, ah, and she like, she pops up. It was like that. (laughs) The the water and the Zodiac slammed me. Thank, Thank Jesus, actually, I landed in the water and not on the rocks. But I had on um, I had on like the wading boots. So yeah. the moment I hit the water, they fill up. I start getting pulled down like penguins are jumping off. Walruses are going crazy. I'm frantically trying to get cold. I mean, cold isn't even the word. Um, <laughs> no, it is not. <laughs> and so they and so there's all anytime this happens, there's always a rescue Zodiac because you never know what's going to happen. Someone could fall down on an iceberg. I mean, you never know. Right. Yeah. So they they flew over there. They they yank me in the in the I don't remember much of this. They yank me in the Zodiac. They get me back to the the the, the ship. And they, you know, start like ripping off my clothes because I'm, I'm, I'm start, I'm stop, starting to stop breathing because I'm so You're cold because, because yeah, right. I'm literally just like surrounded by water. It was, I mean, it was so cold that my skin was like sunburn, like my skin, my an entire layer of my body peeled off because wow. that because the, I was immersed in the cold, not just like 
jumped like I was I was like like sitting in this cold water for an extended period of time. Um, It was it was nuts. So it's a great story today. It's a great story. And it's a great lead in to people are like, oh, what is this about? But it was not fun at the time. That is horrifying. Yeah, yeah, it was it was. Yeah, because also walruses like bite you like they're like. You know, at the at the zoo, they're like, don't bet. They're like, penguins will chase you. And they would like chase you down. But the grossest part about Antarctica, penguins, when they go to the bathroom, they're standing up. So they just bend over. So like they just like project all everywhere. So the whole continent to me smells like a chicken house. And so we were, <laughs> which I know that I'm ruining your moment. But I mean, Antarctica, again, I bet it'd be really cool for like four days. Yeah. It was not so it was also the end of our I've been on the ship for a year. Yeah. So month 11 and 12 were in Antarctica and that was some work. I mean, so it was, a, it was a hard way to end a, end a, end a, a contract as well. Yeah. Oh, that's so fast. I mean, talk about perspective, right? Like, I mean, uh, one person's Antarctica is another person's chicken. Coop. <laughs> I mean, I'm I got guy. no, if Bill wants to go, Bill can go by himself. I got no desire yeah. <laughs> to go back to Antarctica. I, I did it. Um, but I've been, but I mean, all jokes aside, I mean, dude, super blessed that I landed uh, the cruise ships that I worked on. Um, it took me around the world. Um, they also took me to the point I was on a cruise ship during 9-11. And so mm-hmm. I was stuck at sea for um, a little little less than 30 days. We were just kind of stuck at sea floating around. Yeah. Um, so I've had some interesting experiences on cruise ships, but they took me around the world and I got paid to do it. So that's phenomenal. It's just, it truly is incredible. Yeah. Uh, but it, it just goes to show you that, I mean, like any, I mean, any job is great for a short amount of time, uh, right? <laughs> Two months in Antarctica. No, yeah. don't need yeah, to do that yeah. again. I love that. That is, that's outrageous. Um, I'm still, I still want to go. I don't care. I'm going go, 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 all go. the way down to that chicken coop and I'm right there. Uh, <laughs> oh my God. I can't, I can't wait to be on the cruise ship and telling people as we're like pulling away from Ushuaia and being like, you know, this place is one big chicken coop. So I don't really know what that we're all excited about around here. Um, <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. Uh, I love it. <clears throat> that is, uh, that's priceless. So, um, and I'm glad you weren't attacked by a walrus because they seem very ornery. They, they, they weren't, they weren't really happy with me either. You know, that I, I'm in their space. So they were, I mean, they were defending their space. And so they're like, enough. get this guy out of the water. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. please get me out. I'm freezing. <laughs> uh, yeah. But I mean, that's, I mean, people like to go for like little polar plunges and stuff like that on the beaches in New York uh, in, uh, you know, in, in April. And <laughs> this is, this is it. You took a literal polar a literal. plunge yeah. and you're good. You're done. I get a pass forever now. I'll yeah, get exactly. all of them. Yeah. 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 You probably still don't need to take Advil. Your muscles are still. <laughs> <laughs> yes, girl. Yes. Uh. So you get to do all this amazing touring mm-hmm. uh, around the, around the globe, uh, amazing productions, getting to flex the pipes, mm-hmm. um, do something that you love, uh, experiment with a culture, experiment with uh, a, a fascinating career. Now I'm experimenting with a whole bunch of drugs as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and at some point, uh, you hit a wall, mm-hmm. um, or I don't know if that's how you would describe mm-hmm. it, but at some point, uh, you know, you reach you reach a breaking point or a maximum, or uh, what what happened there? Yeah, so I the drugs began to be bigger than me. Um, there's this really there's this there's this horrible um, misperception out there that like for uh, for, a, for a human that has a drug use disorder, that drugs are the problem, and that's not 
effectual. Drugs mm. drugs are a symptom of the problem. Yeah. Um, there's a much bigger problem, and that's why the drugs have gotten to be a problem, but they're not the problem. Um, drugs had begun to be bigger than me, and I can't remember what audition it was for, but I was at this audition, and I mean, I'd been I'd been cast by this company before, and I was like down to the very end, but my my anxiety and my inner voice just got the best of me. And I, and I, so I was trying to sneak out the back stairway as the casting director was coming up and say, Oh, it's so good to see you again. You'll be out. And I was like, yeah, I'll be right back. And then I just never went back up um, because I just couldn't, I couldn't take the mental gymnastics anymore. And yeah. so I went and got high and that was kind of it. I got cast in one more show and then I got fired because I was, um, I was high. Uh, and then life just got, life got bad fast. I went from, you know, um, using, um, uh, using just like sniffing it to like smoking it to then using it intravenously. Um, and things spiraled super duper fast. Uh, I tried, I tried to off step program. Like I tried just going to, um, uh, AA and NA, uh, and that didn't really work for me at the time. Ended up in my first rehab, my first psychiatric ward, um, and kind of bounced for a while. Uh, it got, it got pretty bad for a while. Um, and then eventually, um, got connected, um, accidentally or God, higher power, what do you believe in? Um, with a guy who ended up being, um, my long-term sponsor, um, to where I finally began to put some of my life back together. That is, uh, that is out outrageous to hear. Um, just, I mean, knowing who you are right now, I've, I've had the privilege of knowing you now for, you know, six, seven years. Um, and, and this is at a, a time in your life that is completely separate from, from where we are. Um, and, and I know you share, you know, uh, bits and pieces, large chunks of the story on stage, uh, and whatnot. And it is still, um, it's still overwhelming to hear what someone who you respect so much, uh, just what they have been through, right? There's a love that, uh, that I have for you, Archie. Um, and, uh, and it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's like this weird reverse, uh, this weird reverse, like, oh my gosh, like, I wish I could have been there for you then. Right. Like kind of thing. And like, it's because obviously we as humans like to fix things. Um, and, uh, and so, um, but I'm, uh, so grateful that you shared that story, uh, here uh, with us. And I know, I know that it is, yes, you can get up on stages and tell, um, and tell it all you want and whatnot. That doesn't mean that you don't still relive a piece of it. It doesn't mean mm -hmm. that it doesn't bring you back. Uh, and that, I mean, that part's, that part is there's, there's sometimes there's a shelf life to how long you can tell your stories for. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and we know this, we know fellow speakers, some, we know some speakers that tell their stories because they think they deserve it. They deserve to relive it because they made the choices, right? Um, and there's other speaker that tell stories because um, that is the way that they hold on to a loss that they experienced or something, right? Um, and and whatnot. And so um, it is. Uh, it is so incredible that you eventually made the switch to this is where I was to now you are someone who is a mental wellness coach um, and you travel the country and you talk about the, the power of mental health. And I know there were a whole bunch of things that happened in between those two. Um, but I'm wondering, you know, take me back a little bit to the, to the sponsor where there, where there, were there, what did that individual do say, mm -hmm. like, what was it that, 
whatever their technique was somehow clicked for you just right place, right time, right person. What do you, what do you think it was for you as so many of us know individuals that are, that are hurting that we can't save. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's not up to us, which is a really hard thing to admit, but, uh, but yeah. What did that person do? Yeah, that's a that's a phenomenal question, and one that I, I hope that p if people are listening, if if you if there is a human in your life that is um, that is battling uh, a substance use disorder or um, uh, everything now is wrapped under that term. Or term. Um, I, so I I met his name is Joe. I met Joe at a meeting, and I, I'm sure I'd been like pontificating some bullshit. I'm sure I had been like. Oh, woe is me. Like, I'm sure because I just couldn't get it together. And at this point I was working, I, I had stumbled into this career as like a corporate events planner and um, had this fancy title of director of global events management. I mean, you mm. can ride that title to the bank. And I did. Sure. Um, <laughs> and, but I just couldn't get it together. I couldn't get, I couldn't, I couldn't get it. And he walked over to me and he was like, you come here. And I was like, and this, this guy is like literally like a foot taller than me. And I'm like, yes, sir. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> He picks up a meeting schedule and he's like, there's this meeting tomorrow called PAX. Are you free at 6.30? And before I could even say yes, he was like, great, be there. And I was like, uh, I don't know who you are. And he was like, here's my number, call me tomorrow. And I, 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 there, there really is no way to explain it other than higher power, God, universe, whatever you believe in. Something brought us together in that room at that time because I was dying. I was, I mean, I was dying. Yeah. And so what he did that was so different than anybody else was that he just loved me. And this is this heterosexual man who there was no reason for him to spit. I mean, I have, I went to his wedding and I, I had never met his wife until this point. And, and I hugged her and thanked her. Ooh, Lord, I'm getting emotional. Um, because he, he truly poured his life into me for no reason. There was no reason for him to do this. Like I wasn't paying him and I would call him every i mean i would and i relapsed many times when we worked together but he just never gave up and he just loved me and he also got it so i, I think sometimes we don't understand why like blah 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 won't talk to us or why won't they open up to you honestly because you don't get it so mm -hmm. i would spend more time explaining to you and so findings finding a human that can, and and I mean, and to your point, James, this is why I share, this is the reason I tell my story. The reason why I'm so open about being gay and, you know, being a recovering drug addict and, you know, being a survivor of suicide. Like the reason why I'm so open is because students hear me and then they'll go, I had no idea there was a way through this. I had no idea that it was, it was okay to be this gay. And I'm like, that's a compliment, right? Um, but like, <laughs> you know, like, and and so I I want to I want to be that person for them that's like yes I'm not saying it's an easy way but there's there's a way and he also really helped me through the the God thing the barrier to entry to Alcoholics Anonymous is actually pretty big because if you have a past where you have God has been used as you on a like if someone has weaponized God for you AA is really hard I mean I'm just going to call a spade a spade yeah. and he was like nope we're not we're not doing this bullshit we're not getting hung up because some bullshit passed and I hadn't prayed in like forever and we're walking to PAX and we're talking and we just done the third step and he dropped his keys and he was like hey he was on this phone he's like can you grab my keys and so I went I went to pick up his keys and he pushed me down on my knees and he got down beside me so right, we're going to pray and I was like 
we are in the, and he's like, start praying. And I was like, <laughs> you're good to pray. And so, and so we did in like the middle of New York city, we were somewhere in Chelsea, yeah. like praying. And, and, and that's just, that was just his approach. He was like, I'm not, I'm not taking your bullshit. I, I love you. You can do this. And, and because he got it and he had been there and he had also been a sloppy mess that he pulled his life together. I just trusted and believed him. Yeah. Yeah. There is so much power for having, having been there. And that is, it is, I mean, we see it all the time with individuals that are in abusive relationships that have been uh, victims of some victims of sexual violence, uh, people who have uh, had extremely tough times coming out of the closet, um, people who are transitioning, um, right? Non-binary folks, right? Like there is only so much that someone who hasn't been there can do. And that doesn't mean that that person needs to stop loving, needs to stop right. trying, needs to stop caring, needs to stop. Right. doesn't mean they need to try it so that they can, like, <laughs> no. let me come back to you in a month, right? Like, no, like, like that's, that's not what needs to happen. Um, but that is also so hard to hear as someone who just wants to love and help and mm-hmm. uh, right. As a fixer, as I, as I, you know, sometimes can be uh, as Tina would tell you. And uh, <laughs> it's uh, it is, it is really powerful to hear um, that just what this man did for you. And the fact that it worked is, is attributed to the idea that he had largely been there mm-hmm. um, and that, and that meant something. So mm-hmm. I appreciate you sharing that reality with us. And I do also want to say, if you're listening to this and we're like, well, shit, well, now what do I do? I, in my opinion, in my opinion, if if you have not, if you've not experienced the lived experience that this human is going through, the most powerful three words you could ever say to them is I believe you. Mm-hmm. If, if, if just, I believe you like, Ooh, I almost cried again. Like I, I wonder, I actually wonder what it, what it would have been like, had I heard that so much sooner, because I sort of referenced this, but I don't, you know, I, I, I ended up going to two rehabs. I couldn't, you know, just a one-time membership wasn't enough for me. Let's try this. <laughs> let's try this thing twice. Um, and the second time was much later in life. Like we, we might've actually even known each other. I mean, I was very, I was in the fraternity world at that point, but life was spiraling. Nobody else knew it, but life was spiraling. And in that rehab was when I finally talked about the suicide attempt. And that rehab was when I finally talked about the fact that I, I straight up hear voices in my head. And I was scared to say those things before because I, I thought you were going to take me and put me back in the psychiatric ward. And I did not want to go back there. Yeah. And, and so just saying them and literally the day that I said them, my therapist was like, OK. And I was and we just went on and I was like, wait, time out. What? Time out. Wait. That's what, an okay. What, what is happening? And she was like, "Oh, it's fine. It's fine. We'll, we'll we'll get you to the you know psychiatrist. We'll get you some medicine. It's fine. Let's get back to what we're talking about." Like it was so not a big deal. And yeah. it, like the movie Up, where the balloon like takes the house away, that is what happened at that moment. This house was like lifted off my shoulders forever because oh, wow. this person acknowledged the fact that like not only did she believe me, but it wasn't a big deal. And so, you know, I say often the only way we're going to normalize mental illness is by making it normal. Like that's it. There's no other way to normalize it by just making it normal. Like I have red hair. I have major depressive disorder. I have freckles. I, I once, you know, tried to take my life. Like those things have to be things we can talk about or the people that are hurting are never going to talk about them ever. Mm-hmm. So I'm just, I, I have this platform and a voice and I love talking to people. So I'm going to do it. Let's go.
Yeah, hell yeah, you are. Let's go. Uh, and yeah, what that those three simple words, I believe you. I believe and, you. and all those things that we talked about earlier, uh, just um, like the, the different things that people are going through that sometimes they need to meet somebody who's going through it as well, that still is so powerful, right? And we know that it's huge uh, for victims of, of sexual violence. Mm-hmm. We know that it's true for uh, just uh, so many different places, uh, domestic violence. I mean, all those things like I believe you um, is such a powerful sentence. Um, and, and I see you and, and things like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Archie, I love it because now, uh, now you're, now you're out here in these streets, uh, <laughs> talking about mental health and anxiety mm-hmm. and, and, and ways to get around, uh, ways to get around all of that. Uh, anxiety is something that I feel like has uh, grown in popularity, um, right? Really, really working its way up the charts, it's, it's, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? It's, a, it's had a few top 10 hits over the past year. It, yes, has, it, has. it has indeed. Yeah, for sure. My counselor told me I was, I had anxiety. I was like, oh gosh, figures, right? Here I was thinking I was a bearded hipster. And it's like, I don't have anything that's cool. Nah, damn it. Now I have something. <laughs> I have a top 10 hit. Um, <laughs> I'm not indie at all. Um, but uh, but yeah, it is it, it is a uh, it is something that people are talking a lot about uh, more and more right now. And which is, which is great, right? With all, with all Absolutely. mental, with all mental health, we need the more, the better out than in is Shrek toss. Mm-hmm. And, and let's, and let's discuss all these kinds of things. Um, you and I get to work with a really cool population. And, and I know we do, we both do stuff in, in the corporate mm-hmm. world as well, but we get to work with college students, which is a really exciting time to have conversations with folks. Um, and are you finding over the span that you've been doing more and more speaking over the past handful of years um, and 10 years, whatever it's been for you since you started. um, Are you finding that the individuals that you talk to are more open about what they are going through? Yeah, absolutely. And probably like you, I, so number one, I call the pandemic an experience. It just sounds more pleasant. So I call it an experience, you know, we've all experienced it different ways, but we experienced it. Um, I've tried to find the joy in the experience. And for me, one of the joys has actually been virtual programming because for mental health conversations, they say things in a private chat to me that they would never say in an auditorium. Even, even the students who wait afterwards to talk to me, they would never say these things. So I've, I've had to, I mean, I've had the pleasure of having really tough conversations with students. I mean, you know, I had a student share with me once that he'd been driving around for a week with a gun with one bullet in it. And I was like, and we are now going to drive here. You know, like that would have never happened. You know, they, and, and I don't know, and sometimes I don't know who these kids are, you know, sometimes they log on with zoom, like I don't know who they are. And so um, I like, I, I, I do like the zoom after the zoom, which I'm sure all of us do. And so I'll, I'll purposely like be chatting to this person. I don't know who they are that I'm like, you know, I'm not giving you therapeutic advice, but like, here's what worked for me. Have you thought about this? Have you talked to this person? I, I, and I hope for my, um, for my student affairs friends that are listening, I really hope that virtual programming doesn't just completely go away because there are some topics that is actually helpful. It's actually been helpful. Um, dudes say things in chat that they, there's no way. And I, I used, I'm going to use this word on purpose. I hate the word frat star, but 
you know, sometimes we get blessed to work with some frat stars. There are some frat stars who say things that it would never happen. And they, and they follow up with me afterwards. It would never happen. So I, I have, I have found that to be a blessing and I'm grateful for the fact that I've been able to do some of this stuff virtually so that they can, they can show up hundred percent authentically and ask questions hundred percent authentically. And like, sometimes I'll say, please don't say my name, but can you answer this? And I'm like, yes, I can. And so then I'll weave it in. That would never happen in a, in a, in a virtual, in a, in a, in a in-person space. Yeah, I completely agree. You know, I, I talk about authenticity and vulnerability and the things that people are sharing in the chats uh, about what they're, what they're going with or the stories they tell themselves, right. Um, is, is just, it's incredible. Um, and it's, it's also cool for the people that do share it publicly in those chats to watch them be seen. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's uh, in a way that is, like you said, just doesn't happen in person for, for all the right reasons sometimes too. Right. Yeah, just, abs you know, they don't, they absolutely. Don't go back to my high school. Right. And why people didn't come out. They didn't feel safe. Yeah. Um, and this environment is not a safe place for them to share a vulnerability or insecurity or a mental health issue that they're going through. Um, yeah. And yeah. So it, it's fascinating because mental health is one of those things that, and I guess physical health is this as well. Uh, but not, not to the same extent where in physical health, you can get, you can grow your body to a certain place, a certain physique, a certain strength level, a certain, et cetera, et cetera. Mental health is, uh, is different than that. Um, it's not as linear, right? There's okay. a way more ups and downs. Mm -hmm. And yes, you can uh, binge eat and let, and what, there's a whole bunch of eating things that you can do as well with how much you work out, but it's just, it's just different with mental health. So I'm not, I'm not trying to knock anybody who has uh, issues with uh, on the physical health side of stuff, but um, when it comes to mental health, setting goals is interesting. Right. Like you, you said, you're a, you're a mental wellness coach. Mm -hmm. Right. And so when I hear coach, I think of someone who is helping other individuals set goals and work towards those goals, mm -hmm. hold them accountable to those goals um, and ask really good questions along the way to help that person find more and more clarity. Right. <clears throat> and so when it comes to setting goals around mental health, I'd be curious to hear, like, what goals do you think? what goals are you finding that people are setting that are unrealistic that are hurting them to set, right? Mm -hmm. Like that idea of I'm going to be always happy mm -hmm. is an unrealistic goal. What, what kind of goals do you often hear individuals uh, try to set for themselves? Yeah. Another phenomenal question, which is not shocking coming from you. So a couple, a couple of thoughts firstly, uh, and I'm actually, um, I don't know when this is going to air, but next week in real time, I'm releasing this video series called words matter. Um, and you used all the right words but we're just throwing around words that don't mean the same thing. So if you're listening and I think it's obvious, but like mental health and mental illness are completely different things and the words are being used interchangeably. And so the world's health organization has come out with an umbrella term, um, mental wellness challenge, mental health challenge. I think that's phenomenal because it also, that doesn't mean there's a diagnosis. So, we all have physical health. We all have mental health. It's the same thing. There actually is no physical health without mental health. Um, again, not mental illness. Mental illness means that there is a diagnosis involved. But mental health challenge is what we all there is. There is no there's no litmus test, no color like everyone has to your point ups and downs. That's a mental health challenge. And if if we pay attention to our, our humans, um, mental health challenges do not have to turn into a mental illness. There doesn't have to be a diagnosis, but we all, everyone is struggling. I say everyone, but many people are struggling with, with mental health uh, issues, which would be a mental health challenge. And to use your comparison, which is 
wonderful. And I do it all the time. When we were growing up, we, we learned about the four food groups. We learned about, you know, the president's challenge where we had to do some sit-ups and some push-ups and some pull-ups, which I, sure. I can never do that bullshit. But like Get that blue patch, which I never got. <laughs> now, I, now I'm going to need to talk to my therapist. Um, <laughs> we don't learn the same things. There's no, I don't remember in high school, like where was the forgiveness challenge? Like, I don't remember talking about that. Like, where did we talk about like mental wellness? I don't remember that. We didn't, because we didn't do it. So I, I think there's a number one, there's a lot of relearning we need to do, but also keeping your analogy. So, so Papa has gotten some, gained some weight. So I've gained some weight in places. I used to not have the weight. I know what I can do. I can go to this place called the gym, which I actually called the James. Cause I don't like going to the gym. I go to the James and I, <laughs> I scan, I, I scan in at the James and I get on my little treadmill, my stair stepper. And if I do this enough, then some of this weight will go off. It's very known with mental, with the mental health challenges, you don't really know. And so what we do is we say, I will just be happy. Okay. That's, <laughs> that's not the way that it works. <laughs> like I will be happy six times this week. Like that's not the way that it works. And and that's really where I, why I've gone all in on feelings to your point, got the trademark is why not. Um, it, it, I, I think that if what I, what I try to do with people is begin to help them just understand, listen to these feelings. And there's no such thing as a good feeling or a bad feeling. We assign meaning to it. So it's the same thing. Like we, we just say, this is a good feeling. No, no, it's just a feeling. And I've decided it's good. So, um, it, it, and for those of you that don't understand, I'm sure we're coming up on time here, but like, let me just give this quick analogy. Go ahead, go ahead. If, if you've ever, if you've ever been blessed to have a surprise birthday party, when people jump out and yell surprise <laughs> at you, that's some scary shit. Okay. So there is a feeling of fear inside, but you have chosen to assign that meaning most likely as a positive one. Okay. I, I'm, I'm very scared person. When I'm taking the trash can out at 10 o'clock at night and the cat goes real, that same feeling, it's the exact <laughs> same body mechanism, but I have not designed, I have not defined that one as positive. So I think just even that knowledge that you, if you have this knowledge that like you were choosing to assign meaning to these things, mm -hmm. you can actually help the, I call them anxiety wheels. You can actually help the anxiety wheels stop turning. You're like, no, no, I'm not doing this today. I'm not doing this. This is just a feeling, high feeling. I'm noticing you. Now I'm continuing to my day. As opposed to being like, what is going on? Why am I feeling this way? Why can't I stop? Like, stop that bullshit. Like, stop with the anxiety wheels. Notice it. Recognize it. Acknowledge it. Move on. Yeah. You know, I always, <laughs> the image that always comes into my brain is that I just slipped down a hole, but I somehow have two spikes and I'm like trying to like grab, like, stop, like, don't let it keep going. I'm like trying yeah. to get them into the wall so that I don't keep falling deeper is, into the anxiety hole, the shame hole, the whatever hole, um, right? <laughs> and and uh, ultimately these tools that you're talking about in my brain, in my analogy, give me better spikes, mm -hmm. right? Like at some point, at some point they turn into like Wolverine claws where I can be like, mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. and like, and, and truly stop myself from going down. Um, mm -hmm. and, and that's something I'm working on with my therapist right now is, is why are there times where I can just spiral into this place of, uh, everything in my life is going wrong. I'm letting everybody down. I've let myself down. No one's proud of me. Um, and right. And I, and I get to those places, mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and fortunately I get to them less and less as time goes on, as I develop better tools, as I let people in a little bit sooner and things like that. Uh, but, uh, it is, it is incredibly 
powerful the work that you are doing archie uh and it's so it's just cool to hear hear the way that you talk about it and i love it like to go back to your analogy right like how can we get the wheel the wheel to stop spinning every once in a while but recognize that wheels spin and so like can we you know let can we slow them down um and also sometimes you know, if we, I don't know, I love analogies, so I'm just going to keep freaking rocking with this. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and also my favorite rule in improv is if that's true, then what else is true? And so <laughs> if we think about this is wheels, right? I'm thinking gears now. Um, and like, and one gear turns another gear, another gear, mm-hmm. those, all those gears don't have to be connected just mm-hmm. because this one spun doesn't mean all this other stuff is now spinning and going into shit. Exactly. Show Exactly. Right? There is separation between some of those things. There, there can this be. This thing can just be bad. There can. This, they can be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There yeah. can be. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I literally, genius, James, I use the word wheel analogy for, on purpose. What is a wheel supposed to do? It's supposed to turn. It's yeah. supposed to spin. So, like, we are going to feel anxiety. Like, this is factual. Mm-hmm. And so just owning that and being like, okay, I'm going to feel this thing. But no, I'm not doing this. And And if I can stop this over here, then to your point, they're not then doing this. Because listen, child, I can spin a twister. It's a twister. It's a twister. I mean, I can spin. But I have learned now that when I, a lot of times just talk about it and like literally Bill's like, did that happen or did it happen in your head? And I was like, yep, happened in my head. Conversation didn't happen. Okay, we're good. Thanks, Bill. (laughs) Thanks, Bill. Um, But yeah, listen, humans. You, you are meant to feel anxiety. You are meant, you are, you will feel sadness. You will feel happiness. You will feel anger. Let's start using all the feelings of the rainbow, acknowledging the feeling and saying, okay, I feel that. Okay. Return. And sometimes it's easier than other times, but the more pr- practice you get at it, um, the better you, it's, it's a learned muscle. Go, go to the feelings gym, go to the feelings, James, and begin to work <laughs> on those feelings. James. I'm actually going to get that trademark. So don't okay, go great. there unless no. <laughs> <laughs> um uh archie i i love this and i and i and i love you and it's it's cool because not only do you do this on stages i know you've had a lot of opportunities to do this in in the media as well and, and share parts of your story um and and whatnot and, and you're able to be booked as a speaker you know across the across the world but you've also now recently brought this to a podcast and that's where I'd like to end is, you know, can you tell us a little bit about your podcast? What a feeling like who what's happening in those episodes? What kind of guests are you getting and, and who should listen to it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the the kind of tagline is where mental health matters, self-care is never selfish and your feelings always come first. So my my goal was to bring a a wide variety of people. I didn't want to have a mental health podcast that was just therapist just doctors, like just like I wanted, I want those people as well. And we have them, but lots of people with lot, lots of lived experience, um, you know, from major league baseball players to Olympic gold medalists, to speakers, to like all over the place, to moms. Like there's a mom coming up. She was like, I'm a mom. And I'm like, that's a title. Great. Um, and so <laughs> what, it, what it looks like to kind of e- either times when they ignored their feelings and maybe either good or bad things happened, what it looks like to practice self-care. We talk a lot about self-care. So it is a, it is a holistic look at mental wellness um, and how, and I, I honestly believe that every episode so far and today to in real time today, number five dropped um, there are nuggets that anyone can take and then apply to their life. So it's a, it's a no nonsense conversation about mental wellness. 
Let's get it, Archie. Let us get it. I'm so <laughs> pumped that you came through, Archie. Uh, thank you so much for kicking it with me in the diner. You know, I, I didn't know you in your, your New York days, uh, but I would have been in the club with you, and then we would have been hitting some diners up and having some good conversations. Yes. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, I'm so grateful to have you as a friend um, and just to have you as, uh, as someone who does the work that you do in the world, Archie. Thanks for coming through the diner. Thanks, James. Thanks for having me. Heck yeah. My friends, that was my friend, Archie Messersmith Bunting. Uh, you can check him out, archiecares.com, or like I said, uh, or like he said, excuse me, the What a Feeling podcast. He is an outrageous man. Uh, he is absolutely hysterical. I got him into some deep talks, y'all, so I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't let his humor shine today, but trust and believe, uh, he is absolutely a riot. Um, but yeah, I know you could already get a sense of that, but he's just the kind of person that you want to hang out with a lot, uh, and I'm grateful the world has brought he and I together, and I'm grateful the world has brought you and I together. Thank you so much for hanging out with me and the diner today, my friends. And until next time, keep punching small talk in the face by asking better questions. You all take care. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Diner Talks with James. It was so much fun getting to hang out with you and finish our milkshakes in that squeaky red leather booth. <laughs> if you do me a favor and smash that subscribe button, that would be dope. And also, if you could leave a review on iTunes, well, come on now. You're going to make me blush. <laughs> also, if you want to be a part of the action, we record these live on YouTube Live every Wednesday night at 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Go to YouTube and type in James T. Robo and smash that red subscribe button so you know when we go live next. Also, while we're on the subject, I'm James T. Robo all over the internet. I post meaningful content on Instagram, witty content on Twitter. Let's get connected in some other places, folks. And as always, if you're interested in learning more about the guest tonight, please check out the show notes. My friends, until next time, keep punching small talk in the face by asking better questions. Y'all take care.